Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of being church, being able to gather together in person and online. Pour down your Holy Spirit on us as we gather together. Help us to see you at work. Help us to help a greater understanding of who you are and what it means for us to be your people and for you to be our God. Heavenly Father, let us not lose hope, but by our reflection and thoughts about today's text, help us and encourage us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Today's focus is being renewed by God's determined faithfulness, a faithfulness that never gives up. One of the things that um, I've come across and I enjoy reading is books about leadership and particularly books, stories of leaders. And one of the common threads that come through successful leaders is that they are people who never give up. Often they're for their own reasons, but not always. But they never give up. They keep determined through good and through bad. And as many of you know, I'm a bit of a sports nut and follower. I like my AFL and I'm learning to like my NRL here in Sydney. Um, And there's two stories that remind me of successful coaches who never give up. One is Damien Hardwick. A number of years ago, Damien Hardwick's job was probably on the line. He hadn't been successful as a coach. He was at Richmond and there was a bit of disgruntlement against supporters. Now, Richmond supporters have a terrible habit of when they're losing, of doing things very publicly, of cutting up their membership cards and saying life is terrible and we've got to get rid of the coach. <coughs> and the, the solution to any problems is get rid of the coach, get rid of um, dead wood. But fortunately, Damien Hardwick had developed a relationship with the board and some members on the board could see there was still some potential. So they signed him on. And that was probably the smartest move they did because a number of years later, come to 2021, they've now won three flags. They are now considered one of the most successful clubs of the current era and to watch for. And their questions is, will they win a flag again this year? And another person who I've seen determined faithfulness um, in his role as a coach comes from the NRL, comes from... Craig Bellamy at Melbourne Storm. And if you read his biography, you can see that come through. You see, they've been a successful club, but a number of years ago, they were stripped of two premierships. They were accused of cheating and and found guilty of cheating. They were fined a lot of money. They were forced to play a whole season with the understanding they would get no points, regardless of how much they won by. And it would have been very easy for Craig Bellamy to say, I've had enough. I can't cope anymore. I'm chucking it in. But the, what you get a sense of is that he was there to lead the team through this difficulty, through these problems. He was not going to give up. He was not going to no, say, nah, things are too bad. It's terrible. He remained faithful to caring for the people he led. And today's story, today's Old Testament reading, is a reminder that we have a God who is even more faithful than those leaders or anyone else. A God who has this determined faithfulness for us and for his people. Jeremiah chapter 31 begins with these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And we're going to see how significant this statement is and why this shows that God is this faithful God that's determined never to give up on us or having a relationship with us. But before we do, I've got a couple of questions for you to think about, to consider not only throughout the sermon, but throughout your Christian walk. The first is this. What does it mean for you that God will never give up on you? If you think about your life, we're not always perfect. Right? We're not always good. Some of us have been in situations where in work life, you feel like you're always being judged and there's a potential that the rug could be pulled out from underneath you. And sometimes we think that's how God looks at us. But the truth is God doesn't. God has this determined faithfulness that he always wants you to have the opportunity of living with him in eternity. And so what does it mean for you that God will never give up on you? And if you want to take it one step further, what does it mean that God will never give up on someone you love who is some distance from God? The second question I invite you to ponder about and think about is, how does a relationship with God, based on love and forgiveness and not meeting the law, affect how you live? How does a relationship with God, based on love and forgiveness, not meeting the law, affect how you live? I would argue that there are many people, and I have discussions occasionally with some atheists, who will say things like, are the gods you worship or the gods you work for you know, one of my friends says, the God you work for, he's a, he's a terrible God. If he's real, he's about punishing people and judging people. You know, he wouldn't want me because I'm so bad according to his standards. And discussion often goes down the path, that's not the real perception of who God is. And often that's come from an experience rather than an understanding of embracing the whole scripture. The thing I've also noticed is what some of those people will do is in, pick out pieces of scripture to say, suggest that God's a mean God and one that demands a lot, but they actually forget about the parts where it talks about love and forgiveness or overlook those. So I'd encourage you to think about, this, and this is going to become more evident as we look at today's reading, how does a relationship with God based on love and forgiveness, not meeting the law, affect how you live? Now, this doesn't mean the law doesn't have a role in our lives as Christians, but it's not the way God initially relates to us. It's not the way that God will say, um, you can only have a relationship with me if you meet these standards. To gain an understanding of this God who's a God who is has this determined faithfulness, a relentless faithfulness. And if you think of a, a marathon going over rocks and, and everything, that a long marathon, he's con- prepared to continue to love us. We need to understand a bit about the context of what Jeremiah is prophesying into, is speaking to. And as I mentioned to the kids, the, the um, Israelites are in Babylon. They've been taken, been held captive, taken away and taken to Babylon, to a place that's not a place that they believe God is at. And there's a lot of false gods. There's a lot of pressure on them to live differently to how Yahweh has called them to live. The other problem is many of them would have a, th- have a thought and think they have to be 
in Jerusalem to worship God. One of the things that comes through with a lot of the Jewish teaching, particular, not all, but a lot of it, is that you have to worship God in the temple in a particular place. For us as Christians, we can worship God anywhere. A place like this actually helps us worship God, come together as a community and worship God. But we can worship God anywhere, knowing that God loves us. Now, as for the Israelites, though, they are in Babylon. They're away. They think God has deserted them for a couple of reasons. Um, one is they can't worship him like they did in the temple in Jerusalem. And I've had some Christians who, who have lost their church building say, oh, particularly during COVID, you know, there was a number of people who said they wouldn't worship online because it didn't feel like church. They didn't feel like they were in the presence of God. And yet the truth is we can worship God in any number of places. But for those in the Israelites, they had a very strong understanding that God was only in Jerusalem and there in Babylon there's this huge distance, there's there's all these problems. The second thing is that you'll get a sense in reading about their Babylon journey that they saw this as punishment for breaking the other covenants with God. That they saw that them going to Babylon was not about the Babylonians just taking them away, but God using the Babylonians to punish them. And that's how a lot of people live today. They think, and I've, I've visited people who have been in difficult situations and they've said, I must have done something terrible to God to be in this situation. Well, that's a thing called karma. It's a thing we don't believe on. I think Bono from U2 sums it up well. He said, thank goodness that Jesus, that God that we know through Jesus, doesn't operate through karma. And karma is about being punished or being blessed according to the works you do. Because he said, otherwise, I'm stuffed. I would not. I'd be confused. I don't understand how I could be successful. I don't understand how life, what future I would have if life was about karma. You see, God, that's not the way he operates with us or approaches us as Christians. It's not Our relationship with God is not based on what we do now. It's based on Jesus and what God's doing for us. And so the other thing to keep in mind, what's happening now is in this context, God is about to, or he has freed them. And the reason why I've got, or has, or they have been in Babylon, there's a bit of discussion amongst scholars of, have the Israelites actually left Babylon? And Jeremiah's prophesying to them just afterwards, or have the Israelites um, waiting, waiting to be freed? It doesn't really matter for today's argument because it's the same message. But what is happening here is God is about to free them or has freed them. And so the Israelites may have been in a place, well, if they think about their history, God had made these covenants with us. We had broken them. We got in trouble. Is this going to happen again? They have this doubt about their relationship with God. And that can either lead to a couple of things. One, they could ignore God completely and think, if that's the type of God God is, we don't want anything to do with him. Or the other thing it can lead to is this very legalistic way of living, which puts a lot of pressure on them and a lot of pressure on everybody else. They could go, well, that means I've got to abide by everything, otherwise I'm I'm not going to be with God. Or, Or the other thing it could be is, I'm good. And Jimmy could walk around, I'm good. But Richard, you're not so good, right? These are your problems. 
And so this is the context that Jeremiah is prophesying and shares this message from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 into, that the Israelites had been in Babylon. They, some of them saw it at least as they were breaking, they were there because they'd broken the other covenants with God. And now they were realising that God's about to free them, but there could have been this worry or concern about what does the future actually still hold? What happens, though, is Jeremiah highlights to them that God has a different approach to what they're thinking about. God says this, It would not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks and looked at our, um, and remembered our last couple of sermons, the first couple of our Lenten series was the uh, Abrahamic covenant and then the Noahic Noahic covenant, those two covenants. and the covenants can be, those covenants were conditional, you know, particularly the Abrahamic covenant was, you go and leave the country and I will bless you. Right? And so there was these covenants. And we've also had the Ten Commandments right, as well, where there's these kind of, you know, these are things you're to, to do and there's this understanding that it's about God has a covenant with us, but part of it depends on us living up to our side of the bargain. But here, Jeremiah says, look, God's got a different approach with you because, and you If you want to read between the lines, you might say, well, he hasn't been. The other covenants are not working in the way they intended. Not because God hasn't fulfilled his bargain, but because we as God's people haven't fulfilled our bargain. And so God's approach is this. God highlights, first of all, he is committed to being their God and our God no matter what. No matter what happens, God is committed to being our God, to having a relationship with us no matter what. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And the sense you get of this, and you'll see how this unfolds in a few moments, but God is committed no matter what. Think about that. Think about how that affects who you are with God. That God is always going to love you, always wants to forgive you no matter what. He will persist. Think about the people that you know who may have walked away from a relationship with Jesus. They have deserted God, but God is going to persist. And maybe God is calling you to be part of that persistence. Or maybe God is calling other people to be part of that persistence. Some of you know my story that um, at one stage in my life, I kind of, I wouldn't say I turned my back totally on Christianity, but I wasn't that interested. I was, we're very low commitment to Christianity. Um, But my father, he was persistent. Every time I moved, he would ling up the local pastor and say, oh, my son Richard has moved to your area. Um, Would you mind just looking him up, checking him? I don't know whether I ever told the pastor that what I was like. And every time I would get a phone call or a visit from the pastor, and one of those pastors was the pastor at the Southgate Church in Melbourne where I reconnected. The first couple of times I wasn't too interested But something happened and something happened in my life and I was kind of like, oh, I enjoyed having a conversation with him. I'll go and reconnect. 
God may be using, calling you to do the same thing. He wants to connect to everybody, right? Like he wanted to connect to those people, those Israelites, to help them to see he was a loving God. So I'd encourage you to think about that, that God is committed always to being our God, no matter what. Now, some people will say, uh, could God forgive the sin I've committed? Well, that's a conversation to have. And maybe we talk about some of the Easter story, like the thief on the cross. This is God's approach. He doesn't want to give up no matter what happens. The sec- And part of this approach is, is this, and this is how he shows this approach. Rather than have an approach where he says, Rightio, Jimmy, I'm going to have a relationship with you, but for you to have a relationship with me, you must meet these ten criteria first perfectly. Right? That's how many that's how often people see God. That I must meet all this criteria. Right? Now sometimes we don't say it like that, but we'll do it in certain ways. Oh, if you're going to be part of this church, this is all the stuff you have to do. But that's not the approach God takes. And this is not the approach that God is, Jeremiah is sharing with these people. And it's not the approach that God wants us to hear. He says this, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I'll come back to that statement in a moment. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. In other words, God says, if you have a relationship with me, and we know as Christians that relationship needs to be based on Jesus, we don't have to be worried that our sin is going to be brought up with God. On earth, we may have to deal with consequences of our sin. But with God, he's not going to remember our sin no more. The other aspect of this is what God is aiming to do is... Not, not us having to go to a list of laws to go, I'm gonna, these are all the things you've got to do and check them off. That was what the Pharisees liked to do. But rather that on our heart and in our minds, we would know God. Terence Frentham, who's an Old Testament scholar, says this highlights that God is about relationship and not law. He's about relationship and not rules. Now, one of the images of God and us that is often used in the Bible is that of a marriage. A marriage, and I would have to say it's the perfect marriage. A marriage where there is always constant forgiveness. Think about this. If forgiveness and love is the highest priority in any relationship, what does that mean when things are not going so well? Do you aim to prove to the other person that they're wrong? Do you aim to prove that you're not good enough or they're not good enough? Do you try to inflict new rules on them to improve? Or is your focus on how can I love this person, how can I forgive them? That's why I believe marriage is used often as a picture between us and God. Because the ideal marriage, the perfect marriage, is one where it's, it's couples working together. 
and forgiving and loving each other. I know for a fact that if Veronica did not forgive me, our marriage wouldn't last. Because I do some stupid things at times. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But because Veronica forgives, and she probably forgets quicker than I do, we have the marriage survives and lasts. Now, I'm not saying, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that if you're in a marriage where there's domestic violence, that something doesn't need to be done about it. But what I am saying, the perfect picture of marriage is one where God is always forgiving us. And God always wants to forgive each of us. So what does this all mean for living our faith? What does it mean for us as we live our faith in this world? Well, the first thing is know that God is committed to you and everyone else. Keep that in mind that God is committed to you and everyone else and giving you the opportunity and everyone else the opportunity to be with him eternally. That is the message of Easter. The message of Easter is the reason Jesus came. If anyone asks what Christianity is about, I think we've got, when it comes to Easter, we've got the easiest approach. You've got shops selling hot cross buns and you've got Jesus on the cross. The reason for being a Christian is not about being the best ethical person on earth. That's kind of a byproduct of being a Christian, aiming to do good for others. The reason for being a Christian is to make sure that we receive God's love by trusting what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. Now the rules, and I did say the rules have a place, but the rules' place is not about whether you can have a relationship with God. We follow the rules, we look at the rules that God gives us so we can share God's love in this world and we can love God. But remember that. Know that God is committed to you and everyone else no matter what. The second thing is, and this, is, this text is a bit of a troubling because it also appears um, and is quoted in the New Testament, particularly the part where I write it on their minds and write it in their hearts. Now, there are some Christians that say, look, that means I don't have to go to church, I don't have to read the Bible, God's just going to give it to me through osmosis. But think about this. How do we know about God? Well, the only way to know about God is to look at Jesus. How do we know about Jesus? It's about engaging with Christian community. It's about reading the scriptures. Because God is still at work. This, is a, this text is a work in progress. There is not one person I know that perfectly has God on their heart or in their minds. We get influenced. And I, I heard a quote this morning that 95% of what Christians take in is not from the scriptures. They're from the world. Right? We need to constantly be listening to Jesus, constantly to be knowing about God, and constantly, as part of our lives as Christians, um, to help others to know about God. And again, the best way to do that is to introduce them to Jesus, connect them to Jesus. And so as a community of faith, let us be a community of faith, that connects with Jesus, but also connects others with a focus of living to connect others with Jesus. You see, none of us should come to church just for ourselves. None of us should be part of, have a relationship with God just for ourselves. But because we have a relationship with God, we should think of how can we share God with others.
And so the third thing in this, in living our faith is important, is allow love and forgiveness, not the rules, be the main message of God for you and through you. Allow love and forgiveness, not the rules, be the main message of God for you and through you. So in other words, and I've different people react differently, but some people will feel they're never good enough for God. And my response to that is, without Jesus, you're right. But because you have Jesus, because Jesus, you have faith in Jesus, you're wrong. You are good enough for God because of his love and forgiveness. The other way people react is, and um, I heard some stories, there's a, there's a, a I, don't, I don't know if anyone knows him, there's a, the lead singer of Corn, Brian Welsh, apologised a couple of weeks ago for some of the fanatical things he did when he first converted to Christianity. He said he could become so fanatical, he became so legalistic, basically, right? Love and forgiveness weren't, from what I read, weren't the main message he was sharing with people, but rather, you need to do these things. Embrace yourself, submerge yourself in the stories of Jesus and his love and forgiveness. Now, as a human, whenever we hear love and forgiveness, there's always a tendency to go, ah, but, but, but if, if, what might that person get away with if they're forgiven? Or, but don't they deserve punishment? Well, come back to God's approach. God's approach is about him wanting to love and forgive people no matter what, to be always part of his community. And so I want to end with a, a reading from a Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, reminds us about this new covenant and what it means for us today. You see, this this term only appears once in the Old Testament, and this, ter- this one time is in this reading from Jeremiah. But when we jump across to the New Testament, we see the term new covenant a number of times, in Hebrews a couple of times, um, we see Jesus share it you know, when we have communion and we say those words when we have communion. And what it's meaning is that it's through Jesus that we get these new covenant. This is what Hebrews 9 verse 15 says. For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The good news for all of us is that as we get closer to Easter, we get to hear and receive what God was really about. That God was about coming into this world, not to give us a whole heap of new teaching, primarily, not to set a heap of new rules, but to give us love and forgiveness to say to each one of us, you're my child, I love and forgive you. And that's a message he's never going to give up on. It's a message that he is determined for us to hear. And it's a message that I pray that you not only receive, but you also share generously with all that you meet. Amen. During, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Jesus into this world, the gift that reminds us that we are loved and forgiven by you.
Lord, help us as we live in this world to see that that is your approach to developing and nurturing a relationship with us and with all people. Heavenly Father, help us to let go of other approaches, other ideas about you. When life is tough, remind us that you are with us, that you're walking with us. When life is good, remind us that you have been there with us celebrating the good times. When life is ordinary, help us. Heavenly Father, we pray for each person here. We pray that you be with them, that through them, that they will know that you love and forgive them. But we also pray that as they live in this world, as they interact with people, as they bump into people in the streets, in their workplaces, in their families, that through them, that this message will percolate amongst our community, that you are a God of love and forgiveness. And gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our God. Help us to be your people. Amen.